I think I have that same little mixer. Oh my gosh, it's a godsend. My, my girlfriend got it for me as a present. Oh, nice. So I wouldn't be able to do any podcasting or anything. That's why we hired you. Yep. <laughs> I, I, can't, Thanks, I don't Devin. have time to figure it out right now. <laughs> it took me a while to figure out even how this thing works. I uh, like, took it to Buzz and we just started pushing buttons until it worked. <laughs> You're like, nope, audio's not coming out. It's not coming out. It's not, oh, this one. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Can I just start talking? Sure. All right, big city, yeah. Kansas City, how you feeling? Welcome to Center Cuts. This is our second episode, and today we actually have, I would consider, our first real guest, Michelle Bacon. Hey, Patrick. How's it going? Good, how are you? Well, I'm very excited. Uh, Our episode last week was kind of a not really normal episode for us in the fact that I had my business partner Jim Andrews on and um, we were very excited to be here in Chris Mowry's home. And I have to say that when I first sort of started throwing around the idea of a podcast in my head, maybe end of 2018, or sorry, 2019, what year is it again? Uh, 2020, it has been for the last five years, I think. Okay, I'm saying I'm struggling with days of the week. Yeah. I yeah. just wanted to check my, but yeah, I when I thought, you know, I'd like to do a conversation with people in Kansas City involved in the music industry, whether it's venue owners, record store owners, engineers, other label owners, for example. I thought, you know, who would be the ideal first guest? And I just got to tell you, Michelle, within a couple of seconds, it was, I want to talk to Michelle Bacon. Well, I really appreciate that. And I, I appreciate your patience in um, trying to bring this to fruition. I think we talked about this back in March, mm-hmm. D-Day. Right before, right before all this stuff started. Right before yeah. it all started. Mm-hmm. It was still kind of a, a dream. But today we're going to try to uh, do what we do on all the programs where basically we'll talk a little bit about what's going on in Kansas City. That's a little unusual right now. We'll talk a little bit about our guest's life, career. We'll talk a little bit about um, how Michelle feels things are good positive in the Kansas City music scene as well as maybe what's an area of need or some things that we could work on as far as improving and building up the industry so even though all this is happening it does seem like a lot of stuff is going on particularly in these next couple of weeks Mm -hmm. today's a huge day for the bridge yes it is our 19th birthday so we've officially been on the air since 2001 now, are people, you're not in the studios right now. You're all working no, from home. We're all working from home. I actually went in today to pick up a couple things and nobody was there, but that was my second time working in the office since March, okay. since right around St. Patrick's Day. So No big celebration. I think you were telling me on the way no. in, you had some plans or the bridge had some plans. We originally had some plans to do some sort of live show. And then of course that all got derailed. Um, we were wanting to bring in a touring act and pair it with a local act or a couple local acts and then of course all this stuff started so right. we're gonna do kind of a virtual quote-unquote festival just playing sets from different artists that's on saturday it's on saturday today? saturday the 22nd i believe okay that's good so is today right? is august 19th yes and then that's saturday the 22nd mm-hmm. um we talked a little bit about some shows last week lemonade parks a great new venue mm-hmm. i actually had hoped to go down this past weekend and was overserved on my deck and decided i shouldn't <laughs> get behind the wheel but i believe you have a performance this coming saturday right i do yes uh with other americans and then also emmeline twist and dan jones and the squids are going to be playing mm-hmm. that's a killer lineup i know i'm so excited i haven't played i haven't been on stage since uh end of february now. Wow. and then my first show to attend was the first Lemonade Park show. You know what's cool I didn't realize because I bought up a bunch of tickets last night to I'm actually going to see MGD's Friday. Oh nice. That's a great That's going to uh, be a great lineup Another too. great bill. Mm-hmm. And then I got um, some tickets to Record Bar's 15 year anniversary mm-hmm. Kickstarter campaign with Shiner. But you can actually see where you, you know, pick your seat. It's kind of cool. Oh, cool. And I can yeah. tell you right now, there are not many tickets left for that other American show. So That's what I heard. It looks like I you should have looked. a good turnout. Good. Which, which is a strange thing because I think normally as a venue, you'd want to pack the place. Yeah. And or artists, you'd want to see a bunch of people there. But in some ways, you're probably also a little nervous about we want to mm-hmm. make sure we have enough space for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were kind of talking about that band practice last night because it was like, this might actually be uh, one of the only times where we 
don't want that many people there. Exactly. But the great thing about Lemonade Park is it, it is a hundred cap, and mm-hmm. it is a really big area. Like I said, I went to the first one, and I felt very safe. And I have not been to any other social events with crowds. So, yeah, yeah. I would I would say you actually helped us make the decision to have a couple of shows. We've got. Um, the Black Creatures album release next Friday, mm-hmm. Kadesh Flow, who I just was played in my neighborhood last night. And then the next nice. night, the Black Creatures are going to play with Calvin. But I think, you know, your words of comfort and, I, of course, trust Steve. Yeah. I, I'm sure it's going to be a safe deal. I look at some other shows on that list. That following weekend, again, is the Record Bar 15-year anniversary Kickstarter. I know that, um, actually, Slim Hansen's playing there next Tuesday on the 25th. You've got Steady P coming up, Katie Ginn. I, are you playing with Katie? Or are you doing the Women of Women that night? Uh, we're we're doing both. You're do- wow. Yeah, it's gonna be yeah. Oh, Katie. that's true. It's basically the band. Yeah, it's it's our band. Oh, awesome. Plus uh, Steve and a few others from the band Fill the Earth. So yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I've got Jake Wells on the twentieth. Bell in the Vertical Ways. Yeah. I really want to check them out. Grand Marquis and Victor Penny. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were just talking about again the diversity that some venues offer as far as musical stylings and i would say that you know voltaire's mm-hmm. really great getting some quality diverse artists i did also want to mention uh this month is a pretty big deal in the jazz community charlie parker turns 100 mm-hmm. on the 29th and i know that the american jazz museum is doing some festivities for that these mini classes i spoke with uh, james mm-hmm. mcgee at the mutual musicians foundation last night i know they're doing some events and they've done some great things so it's looking like things are kind of moving in that right direction mm-hmm. so sort cautious, of. <laughs> cautious toes in the water yeah mm-hmm. um and chris our, our producer chris mowry also has worked some of those shows at lemonade too i've, mm-hmm. I've worked all of them except for uh, the one that ended up getting canceled right yeah. yeah i was looking back at my calendars here you know two three shows a week a couple a night and then <laughs> january february is packed and then march 12th I saw Michaela, Mickey Pia, Ula, and then Greg Mize down at the ship, and then it's just blank. That's yep. it, yeah. there we are here with michelle bacon our first real guest on center cuts and i'd like us to talk a little bit about your life your childhood growing up you don't need to give us every gory detail but i do know that you are taiwanese Mm -hmm. adopted Mm -hmm. by a father from independence yep mother from malaysia Malaysia. Uh and from i think what i read tim by the way, you should have full disclosure, everybody. Tim Finn did a lovely write-up on Michelle, I think January 1st of this year. Mm-hmm. And then I also discovered Aaron Rhodes from Shuttlecock Magazine, amongst other outlets, had done a great podcast a couple yeah. years ago. So I'm going to probably force Michelle to repeat herself a little mm-hmm. bit. But it, it sounded like your mother had just come here maybe like eight years before yeah. you were born. Yeah, she and my dad got married in 1975. Okay. And I was born in 1982. So. Did they... Did she move here like for school or? No, she moved here to get married to my dad. They actually, so I don't think this is anything I mentioned in either of those other outlets. Um, They got married before they had, they got engaged before they met. They were pen pals. Yeah, my my dad used to travel around the world. He worked for TWA. Um, He also worked for the King of Saudi Arabia. He was one of his uh, plane mechanics. He was like his personal plane engineer (laughs) one more time 
He um, was a mechanic for, for the, the king. king yeah, <laughs> King Faisal of Saudi Arabia. So okay. So obviously he traveled a lot for his job, and I think he was in Hong Kong and was just hanging out by himself at a bar. Met my mom's cousin, and at the time he was like looking for pen pals. Just looking for friends, quote yeah. unquote. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about all that. But, I love it. But he started corresponding with my mom, and then they, I know they sent pictures to each other and like talked on the phone, but they got engaged. And then they met like a few weeks before their wedding. My dad went out to Malaysia, flew out to Malaysia, and they got everything ready and they got oh, married. I, lo- it's crazy. I love that. I love those leaps of faith. Um, yeah. And they've been married now for, let's see, it's going to be. I think it's been 45 years this September, wow. so. That's unbelievable. They're doing all right. <laughs> and so, I, you know, one question I had wanted to ask, too, is I got to imagine that was a little bit of a culture shock, because you're from Independence. That's where yes. your, your family, that's where you grew up. Mm-hmm. What was that transition like? <laughs> I met my wife, my wife's Korean. Mm-hmm. We met in Berkeley, California, and then moved to Tokyo, lived there for about three years, and then we decided to move to Kansas City, because we didn't want to raise a child in Tokyo, but... Yeah. California is not quite the Midwest. I imagine right. for your mother, it was even more dramatic yeah. change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the thing, the, I guess, good thing, learning curve about Malaysia is that it was a British colony for a long time. So she had to learn English. So she knew English already. Okay. It was more like British English. But yeah, so they lived here. I think they moved to Kansas City a couple of years after they had lived in Saudi Arabia for a while. So, and that within itself was a culture shock for my mom. Working my for the dad. king? Well, she didn't work for the king, but yeah, just being there, just being <laughs> there, crazy. you know? Yeah, right? Um, That's but, crazy. But then they moved here a couple of years later. Um, I know it was, it was a, quite a culture shock for my mom. For me, I was born in Taiwan, and then I moved here when I was adopted. I was probably, I don't know, I think I was like five months old or something. So okay. obviously I didn't know anything else. Um, growing up was just weird because I was the only Asian kid yeah. in my school, in all my schools. Yeah. Um, but. Well, and I mean, just know. to, again, I, like, I have to explain, like, my wife's Korean, mm-hmm. but we met in California, but we live in Japan. Your case, I'm not Malaysian, but, and I'm not my dad, so I'm sure right. that was always kind of trying to fit in or. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of assimilation. Um, like everybody in my school, I went to the little Catholic schools in Independence, and so all my classmates, all my entire schools, mostly white kids. Sure. Um, and it was, I mean, I grew up well, like as far as the way people treated me for the most part, it was good, but you just kind of had to get used to living in this place where people thought you were kind of weird looking. Yeah, especially <laughs> in the Midwest. different, you know. Especially not even, yeah, not even in a bad way, just kind of like, oh, where are you from, you know. Right. And I still get that a lot, but I'm used to it now. Right. It's okay. <laughs> and, and, la- and I don't want to push you either, but the last one on just that end was like, was that, did you, did your parents um, want to teach you things about Taiwan? And I would also say, was your mom wanting to, you know, keep some of her culture through mm-hmm. you? Because that's something we do with our son. Right, yeah. Um, my mom definitely has. Uh, I've visited Malaysia a few times. The last time I was in Singapore, so her most of her family now lives in Singapore. And so I went there a couple years ago. Um, so I definitely as I've gotten older, I've asked more questions and been more curious about her heritage, um, my heritage, I don't really know anything about. I went mm-hmm. back to Taiwan with her in almost 10 years ago. Um, there's really no, there's no record of anything about my family. So, Understood. But it was cool to just be be there, you know, yeah. in this place that I would have been in. Um, but yeah, I, I think as I've gotten older, trying to balance all of the different heritage that I have, um, I've been able to do that more with, right. with my Asian culture. Right. Uh, on on that note, too, it's I think I read, too, also, either that was from Tim or from Aaron, that you did a lot of traveling. Now, was that mm-hmm. just because of your dad's well, job, or is it just yeah. because they like to travel? They like to travel. Uh, most of, like, he worked at the base, the headquarters for TWA here for a long, like, 40 years. Um but that also meant we got to fly for free. Yeah, did you get those cool little TWA red bags? I still have one of those for my grandfather, I think. I do have one of those, yeah. 
you know what I'm talking about? The, yep. Mm-hmm. And I have a bunch of like the little wings and stuff. I just wonder if that's impacted you just in the way that you look at society. Oh, yeah. I feel like absolutely. you're very empathetic. Mm-hmm. I think you can move in and out a lot of those different scenes and areas. And maybe that's just partially because you were exposed to. Right. Yeah. So my grandma, my dad's mom, she had like. That, that's your. That's what I want to ask. That's your dad's mom. You. T- you that's my dad's you mom. I was very, very close to her. Yeah. She okay. Was, she was my person for sure. She's. She died back in 2016 at the age of 102. So she's a. Uh, such a such a role model, such a wonderful person. But, so she kind of pushed my dad into getting the job at TWA because she was like, I want to travel. <laughs> right. So, so like over the course of, I don't know, maybe 20 years, she and my grandpa traveled. I know, I know she went to over 50 countries. Wow. All over, every, all the continents except Antarctica. Um, so that really instilled a lot in me because, like I said, she was my role model. She was mm-hmm. one of the most compassionate, kindest, most generous, empathetic people you'll ever meet. And so I know a lot of that. She was a writer, too, so she talked about her worldview a lot and just saying things like, you know, had I not been able to have exposure to all of these people and all of these cultures, then I would not be as open as I am, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't feel as empathetic as I do for other people because you just don't like, especially back in those days before the internet, you just didn't know what else was out there. And, and of course, especially even now with kind of a culture of fear that Americans are often exposed to, you get stuck in your own thing and you don't, you don't think about other cultures until you're actually, you know. That's in, what it really them, is. So. It's, it's fear of the unknown. Exactly. They're, they're wearing different clothes than us, or eating right. different kinds of food. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the adjectives you'd use to describe your grandmother was adventurous. Yes. Another one, it wasn't feisty, but it was, there was something else she had instilled she in She always you. called herself a tough old bird. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, that was another question I have for you, too, just the writing piece. So it sounded mm-hmm. like she had been a lifelong writer. Yes. But at a later age, 80, maybe she Yep, she published her no- first she, novel. Mm-hmm. Really? Was that a, like a, a Kansas City publisher, or was that a national? I think or? it was national. So it hmm. was about, it was... Uh, it was fictional, but it was based on her life growing up on a farm in Wyoming, and she had at least eight siblings. Interesting. Um, so it was it was pretty closely based on that. Um, so it might have been a publisher out there. Okay. Honestly, I'm not sure. Okay. But yeah, so she she had always been a writer. Like I actually have her first poem that she ever published for I think a local newspaper at the age of sixteen. I have that hanging on my wall um but she wasn't yeah it wasn't a career thing Uh, my grandpa got diagnosed with alzheimer's probably when she was like in her 70s so that was the time you know she was at home with him she was her she was his only caretaker right primary caretaker so she had all this time and that's really when she like dug into the writing thing and decided to publish a novel you also said that was so inspiring though just to see how Mm -hmm. she cared for him or for another human being absolutely she wrote poetry too she did yeah she she mostly wrote poetry and then a few few short stories and then she did two novels she actually had a third one i have i have the manuscripts and i need to like sit down with them and see if i can get something published for her and you and i think from what i remember too you said she pretty much had her memory maybe until she was 80 or so or no or 90 before after that yeah um like we uh she had to go to a nursing home i think she was uh, like 98 at Mm. that time and before that yeah she she was doing everything on her own you know we tried to keep her at home as long as we could without you know she was still living by herself for a long time too and we tried to get her to move in with my parents and of course she did you know she's like i can do it on my own so So she really didn't start forgetting things until probably around that, like her late 90s. And and even after that, you know, her short-term memory was gone. So she'd ask me the same sure. questions over and over again. But sure. she always remembered a lot of important things about her life and my life and, my, you know, the people that she loved the most. And that was the most important thing to her was other was people and her relationships that she cultivated over the years. I think that's so important for young people to have an older person. I don't know that we value mm-hmm. older people enough in this country, whereas I can certainly, my experience in Korea and Japan, mm-hmm. Asian cultures definitely do when I was in the Soviet yes. Union, but they just have so much to offer as far as mentorship. And I don't think you necessarily need to be old to be wise. 
because mm-hmm. some of the wisest people I know are 16 year olds. But mm-hmm. um, I think that's definitely had an impact to you, especially with the writing piece. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, all right. So, grew up went to Catholics, went to schools, like after high school, like um, I college went to stuff. yeah, I went to Northwest Missouri State for a little while, and then I but I ended up getting my degree here at UMKC. Okay. And I got an English degree. Love it. Go yeah, English majors. You know, yeah. Love it. Okay. <laughs> but um, to backtrack slightly, to since we're talking about music, yeah. Um, I started playing piano when I was four, so that kind of was a part of the culture too. Um, my mom, when she was a kid, she was also, uh, I don't want to say forced, but I guess that is kind of That's what word. it is. That's yeah, a, I yes. mean, she, she had to take piano lessons, mm-hmm. and so when I was four, I had to take piano lessons, and I did it for eight years. Um, I didn't really like it that much, <laughs> because it was just like, oh, this is a thing that I have to do. So I actually didn't do anything with music until like after I quit piano at 12 I started again in college or I started playing guitar at that point now you're giving me a whole bunch of questions there too (laughs) some which I already had but so from what I understood your parents weren't necessarily really into music there wasn't like a lot of music in the home did your mother play an instrument no um I mean she also learned how to play piano but not can't really do it and then she I think she also learned to play guitar a little bit but I never seen her pick up a guitar. Okay, and your before. dad? Your dad didn't play? No, he's never really been. Well, my grandma actually said he was really musical when he was a kid, and then. Okay. Totally not. <laughs> I just ask again because my wife doesn't play any instruments, but mm-hmm. she's forced our son, who's now 16, <laughs> to have about 10 years worth of piano lessons, whereas I played, mm-hmm. but I never wanted to force it upon him because I right. was like an English teacher. You know, I don't want to force a kid to read, and they're sure. going to resent it. They're not going to want to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it does sound like that was at least some foundation, probably at least in yes. understanding music. Mm-hmm. You, you don't do keyboards now, do you? You ever play piano? No, I do have a piano, and like in the winter time, I usually will sit down and try to pick out like I'll figure out two songs, and then I'll be done for the okay. winter. So okay, yeah. The, the other question was this: now, when I hear Suzuki, I think of violin. Mm-hmm. What's Suzuki piano for our listeners? So it's basically the Suzuki method is basically ear training. So I I never learned violin, but I know I think that's maybe where it was first implemented was violin. Okay. Ear training? You mean like like learn a Just song learning. by ear? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not not reading notes? No, I I had like they would give me these little white cassette tapes to listen to, and I would just listen over and over and over again, and then I'd have books that had the sheet music with mm-hmm. it, but. For the first several years, I didn't learn how to read any of them. That is such a fascinating question. I always yeah. ask that to musicians, like, were you formally trained, whether it was a, again, a, a, a tutor or something like that, mm-hmm. or did you go to school for it, mm-hmm. or did you just, you know, kind of pick it up and learn by ear? And I find that when I was 12, 13, taking piano lessons, I learned, I wanted to play the songs I heard on the radio, mm. you know? Yeah. And my, no offense, my nun teacher would seriously just as you can imagine start to like take her ruler oh and my wrap gosh. my or even slam the uh oh geez what do you even call that thing on the piano the, down on my hand yeah don't play that Beatles stuff what are you doing you need wow. to play Chopin I'm like ah so that really turned me off and I, if, I, I compared to language sometimes too like what's the best way to learn a language is it study mm-hmm. the roots and the grammatical structure and then move to a place and apply it or is it move to the place, right. learn to survive by using that language, and then go back and oh, dude, I've been conjugating that verb the wrong way the whole time. Right, yeah. And I wonder if there's some correlation with music. In- yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, language acquisition is much easier when you're a kid, and I think that's kind of mm. the idea behind the Suzuki method, sure. too. It's like, get them just, you know, hearing it and understanding the intervals and all that stuff without maybe actually understanding it because when you're so young you're probably not going to understand it anyway sure um so i think that was a huge advantage for me on the other hand i can't read sheet music without i can i can read but it takes me a while i can't just like sight read and start Mm -hmm. playing at the same time Mm -hmm. so so you know it's a little bit of both but i definitely think it gave me an advantage when i came back to music later of course so okay I, i i loved it i think if I were going to do it again, then I would want to do what I did, and on top of that, just try to learn how to actually read music a little mm-hmm. bit more and more theory. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I'm just always curious. Yeah. So let's go back to, so you're out of school, 
Yes. You don't have to give us the whole career breakdown. Right, right. Did you ever get out of Kansas City? No. Wow. Mm-mm. That's interesting considering all that, maybe because you just got, did enough traveling. I've traveled a lot, yeah. I really know you as a writer, Michelle. I think mm-hmm. my first time seeing your name was probably with the deli. Like we yep. talked about this yep. when we had lunch. Yes. You, but I think you said you were, you were like writing for a, maybe a technical company or? Um, was, so, yeah, I wrote, uh, I was working for a, um, a medical organization. So okay. I was doing a lot of medical editing at that time. And then I kind of came to the music scene around the same time as that. I hmm. like had started playing in a few bands and just getting more, like getting introduced to more people around town. Now these are bands, not the. What was the trio with the the number name? Oh gosh, they were like the. Oh man, you really did some research. Your first, here. your first group, <laughs> yeah. group, right? Mock Rocket Three Thousand. Mock. Let's let's yeah, say that loud. That was, proud. Yeah, that, and it had an exclamation exclamation point at the end. So Mock Rocket Three Thousand. Yes. And you like the guys dressed up, not glam, but. Yeah, they would wear like spandex and do split kicks. <laughs> so it's my best friend, my best friend in the world, John. We've been friends since I was four, and he was five. So it was him and his cousin. In Went the to school together? Yes. Okay, great. And, and yeah, we were in the same classes, grade school, high school. So, so yeah, he was just like, yeah, what, you want to play drums in a band? I'm like, yeah, because I had just gotten a drum set, I think, around that time. So uh-huh. I was like, okay, I'll give it a, give it a go. Um, ACDC? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I love it. Yeah. That's so awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, that was pre. That's pre-real band. Yes. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that to John. No offense. Sorry. I I love. I, he knows. Second stage. It's okay. <laughs> the Phoenix. Yeah, it was the. Yeah, it was my second phase in music. Okay, so, so you were doing some technical writing for. Yeah. So firm. well, mostly medical editing, and then some some tech writing, but mostly editing. Okay, and then I had also started around that time working for Inc. Magazine. Give me the year on this now. I think that was two thousand nine when when Inc. launched. So that was a part of the Kansas City Star. Because I think about two thousand. 10, that was I saw you with probably, Deco Auto. Yes, but uh-huh. like the first few times I saw you as a musician, I didn't know you were. I didn't know your name. Right. So I wasn't making the connection between the writer. Sure. You're yeah. just another musician that I saw. Yeah. I I think that was around the time like the both of those times kind of intersected with each other. Me playing with Deco Auto and then also starting to write some music reviews for Ink because that's kind of how I got exposed to the scene outside of like whatever band I was playing with and whatever bands we were paired with because Mm -hmm. at the time I also wasn't thinking about like oh I'm gonna like really do this you know it was just more like I'm gonna play some music with my friends when I have time and whatever and then I just got really really into it really impressed by the scene um I kind of regret not (laughs) being it going to shows a lot but you know I was living I was living in independence probably at that time too so I just didn't come out to the city. I'm an introvert, so I'm just like, yeah. I'm just going to stay here. For, for our <laughs> listeners, again, we could do an entire po- separate podcast about Michelle's musical adventures. I mean, <laughs> a dozen bands, a couple dozen. Yeah, and, and a lot of ways, with a lot of great people. So. You, you remind me of our artist Fritz Hutchison. Oh, yeah. Multi-instrumentalist. Pretty much cut his teeth like you just plan. Mm-hmm. Just, I'm just going to play with whomever and, and learn. Especially how, you know, at yeah. a little bit later age in your case. Mm-hmm. So the deli happened. You started to work yeah. for Inc., the Star. Yeah, so I worked, I, I did some freelance for Inc., and then I also had a weekly column in the Star for a short amount of time where I would just write about, like, here are 10 singles I like this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then around that time, I got involved with Midwest Music Foundation, um, started doing some volunteering for them. And so I think that was. 2012 okay I'm not even totally sure now but okay so they got affiliated with the deli because the deli is based in New York but it has different city scenes right. in a lot of big cities and Austin was one of them so MMF was down there doing Midcoast Takeover okay and oh that's where it for, happened yeah for anybody who is listening who's been to that you know they know it's a huge it's a great showcase it's sure it was voted in the deli as one of the best unofficial showcases so that may be where i also saw your name one of the first times yeah i didn't go down then but yeah covering that well yeah and that this was pre before this was pre like the deli kansas city because that was the point where the deli guy was like hey 
Kansas City should have a scene because mm-hmm. you guys are doing this really awesome showcase. Mm-hmm. And so Rhonda had approached me because she knew I was a writer and editor, and mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, absolutely, I'll oh, do it. Oh, that's awesome. Was Chris Hagarian at Inc. also too about mm-hmm. that? Same to me, even yep. earlier than that. Yeah, the I mean, he's been well. working for the star, or he had been working for the star for about 20 years. But both of you just seem to really be involved in a lot of different mm-hmm. organizations and a lot of different roles. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, then maybe we should talk about what you're doing now. Sure. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I was doing, but it was really the deli for three three or four years and then the bridge opportunity came along again i i moved back to kansas city in 2005 i had a really young child so those first couple years i did not get my wife couldn't drive get to many shows if i did there were more national acts i really was going back to see like old friends bands or somebody Mm -hmm. like um you know steve with season to wrist or paul Mm -hmm. and then i don't know i guess about 2008 nine i was like i'm not paying whatever 100 bucks to go to Sprint Center, I want to go see whomever, you know, at Crossroads Mm -hmm. or at Davies or, you know, wherever. And so that really, I just think it was a blossoming time in Kansas City, too. Lots Mm -hmm. of non-traditional venues were opening. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a a good media component, I think, as well. But what I was trying to say was, just again, Michelle, your writing stands out, and it always did. As an English teacher, I can tell you. Well, thank you, because... A lot of the stuff, other things that I read are sometimes painful. Uh, and that includes PR firms that we work with, for example. Mm. I wonder sometimes, yes. like, you just sent us this press release. I've now entirely rewritten it. Why <laughs> yeah. did I not just do that myself right. and pay yeah. myself? Mm-hmm. So thanks for always being a shining light for the English language. Oh, I, really, I appreciate that, I, especially from a fellow English. I make grammar mm. mistakes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now the bridge. We just figured out that was two years of coming up. Two years. I've been there full time for two years almost. Okay. Um, I I had been contracting with them since 2015, I think, which is around the time the deli went away. Um, oh, okay. So that actually also coincided really well. Um, the thing with the deli was it was a New York-based thing, and for a while it was really cool. And I'm not gonna like talk smack or anything, but it was just. The impression I was left with at the end was more like, well, you guys don't have enough content. Uh, you don't have enough bands. Because, really? you know, of course, compared to New York, we don't have enough bands because sheer population. Right. You know? Um, and then as it was just like there wasn't enough people to keep up with this site this every day either. This was 2015. Um, so at that point, I was like, okay, well, you know, I want to find a platform that's going to be more uplifting to our artists because that's the whole point of doing this in the first place. Mm-hmm. And ar- around that time, John Hart and I met up and he took me to Woodyard Barbecue. Oh, great. <laughs> and that was awesome. But he had talked to me about like, well, you know, do you want to write a story for the bridge every month or every couple weeks or whatever? And then it turned into a contract job there and I was working there like 20 hours a week and then they eventually uh, hired me on full-time as content manager. I, I think John's got a pretty good eye for talent. Absolutely. And I, I think he does a lot to not only nurture the station itself, but mm-hmm. the, the people that work there, the mm-hmm. people that they're trying to interact with. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. But two years ago now, that was when roughly, mm-hmm. what's your, tell me your exact title. My exact title is Radio Content and Database Manager. So what does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that too, which is hilarious. I'm not totally sure. Content, content, content. <laughs> but mostly, yeah. Um, so, But my basic job there is I manage pretty much all the digital content, um, and I kind of make sure all of our messaging is consistent across mm. uh, on-air, online. Super you know. important. Now, do, yeah. you, do you have control when I think about you you've got a nice mixture of like national coverage mm-hmm. or you're sharing that mm-hmm. local artist as well or things happening in the community is that like up to you or do you just find a bunch of stuff and uh a lot of it is up to me so we also are partners with kansas city pbs which was formerly kcpt and mm-hmm. then flatland which is a digital magazine right. so we all work really closely together with them and so as far as like editorial stuff goes for digital content, I work a lot with Chris Lester, who is the Flatland managing editor, mm-hmm. and he's also a huge music lover. So, mm-hmm. so the great thing about him and all the people that work at the bridge is like we're all music lovers, and we all want to. Our mission is to foster music discovery, whether it's national artists or 
like some huge artists or some artists you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I do, in answer to your question, I do get a lot of freedom with what I get to write about or what That's great. I pitch to other people to write about just because we're all like on that same page of like, yeah, of course, gotcha. we want to help push out these artists no matter who they are. You also wrote a piece maybe three months ago too for Flatland though that was not oh, music yeah. centered. Mm-hmm. Want to talk a little bit about that? That was... Yeah, um, that was, I think, kind of the beginning of the pandemic or maybe mid midpoint. I don't even know. Again, yeah, it's concept of time. Right? We don't know. Working yeah. on it. So I wrote something called, I think it was the Age of Coronavirus Quarantine Diary and kind of just talked about my experiences as an Asian American person because I had seen that there was a lot more discrimination happening around the coronavirus um, kind of starting with the administration's assignment of it being <laughs> the China know. virus or the Wuhan virus or Kung flu or whatever terrible things have been yes. assigned to it. Um, and and so I've seen a lot of videos about Asian Americans being spit upon and just, you know, just terrible things happening, people being yelled at for looking a certain way. Mm-hmm. And it started making me think a lot more about my position, who I am, what I represent to other people, even though, you know, you might know nothing about me except just seeing my face. And mm-hmm. and so I kind of just talked about my upbringing and, and kind of what you were going back to, talking about like kind of a weird uh, displaced identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely something I've thought more about, especially over the last few months, because I do have the privilege of not having to worry about it all the time. Um, as far as like Asian people being a quote unquote model minority, but then it kind of is a flip side where you're expected to do something super well. And if you don't, then, you know, the your expectations, somebody else's expectations are dashed. And then you maybe will be looked upon poorly for that. I don't know. Uh, but again, you know, it's like I do have a lot of privilege just looking the way I look. So that was one of the first times I guess I would really, really thought about like, oh, wait, not everybody sees me <laughs> in that light, you know? So. You, you, there were just two points that really stood out to me. You just mentioned that there is just that model minority piece that I'd never really given a ton of thought to. I mm-hmm. mean, certainly, again, with my wife being Korean, living mm-hmm. in Japan. But the, but the second point also having some of my former students who are now, you know, high school age or going to college talking about, mm-hmm. again, Asians, mainly adopted kids, but not always, but yeah. talking about, you know, walking down the street and, you know, people mm-hmm. intentionally crossing the street. And, you know, yeah. part of that, I'm sure, could be in your mind. That's something that in general, as an old white dude, I just don't ever have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's going to change. Right. Um, yeah. And I think about that with our son, too. But if you yeah. haven't checked out that article, everyone, I highly recommend it. The second thing that we kind of wanted to get back to, though, real fast, was just the bridge. Tell me a yes. little bit more about the local scene yeah. what you do in that regard. So for anybody that listens to the bridge, um, you know that we try, one of our main missions is to try and uplift artists from the Kansas City area. Mission so, accomplished. Yes. Good so job. I think that that was really one reason why I got hired, um, because that's something that's been important to me since since I was doing the deli, of course, and, and I wanted a bigger platform um, to do that on, and the bridge has already already been doing that for, well, 19 years now. So, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, so I do have a chance to write about a lot of different artists. I We get a chance to, like, premiere songs, videos, whatever, on the station, um, and we also play local artists in our regular rotation, and I don't think that's any, that's something that, any other station in the city is able to do um and we do partner with like kkfi we love kkfi their community radio it's a different format so Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people get us confused sometimes we we do have like very similar goals but so as far as like what our format is we're triple a station so we're not commercial but we're not community um but but that lets us take chances and be able to uplift those artists that we think are deserving of it that is that is so crucial and again outside before we started the podcast today michelle and i were just talking a little bit about you know artist value i think that for mm-hmm. many artists and, and and the potential business that you had considered like helping arts mm-hmm. i think a lot of artists just they just don't know how to do that they don't know how right. to approach you for example yeah and i remember chris agarian a couple of years ago even talking maybe it was at the mixmaster Con- you might have been mm. on that panel remember Probably. at yeah. the mixmaster conference talking about how 
you know, you guys only play this certain stuff on star sessions or this and that. And he's mm-hmm. just like, dude, just reach out. Right. We're approachable. Yeah. We're yeah. not going to bite you. But I just yeah, think exactly. maybe artists don't know they can do that. Right. So yeah. if someone wants to have a song potentially written about or perhaps mm-hmm. that they, can they just they can email, email you? me? Yeah. Email me is email is the best way. Michelle at bridge 909.org. Uh, we also have a music submission form on our website, but I'm working on making it more visible. So give me some time with that. No, but, it's, but it, you can just email me directly and be like, Hey, here's a wave file link to my new song. The what night before think? they're asking you to put it in the article. Yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe send a couple weeks out. I've never done that, uh, and I do want to, you know, full disclosure, everybody. Michelle has been very helpful with, for Center Cut and our artists, whether it was Calvin Arsenia, with Fritz, with the Black Creatures. Now, um, you work with some amazing people over there. I just, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I just like to spend a day at the bridge. You know, see you and Sarah mm-hmm. in action. Brian, I don't know that I formally met Brian. I've seen him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, we talked about John, and Chris, Tim Finn. My goodness. It's a you great all, crew. You all yeah. just, you you uplift. I don't want to call it local music. I know that's been another conversation, right. too. That, we've had that conversation at the bridge a lot, especially, well, last weekend we did this 816 weekend. Phenomenal. And that was really fun. Yeah. We, let's, we're, we're blowing past our segment rules here, but I don't <laughs> care because i got to tell you from, like, Six to midnight last mm. Saturday, mm-hmm. I sat out on my deck. We you know, I was nice. going to go to Lemonade Park, but you know, after the second adult beverage and nonstop killer Kansas City music, yeah. I mean, it was just a the diversity, mm-hmm. the the time ranges. So, did you tell tell us about that process? Did you go through and literally listen to every single song? Uh, I didn't or? listen to every single song, but we had a we had this category basically where like a lot of Chris's songs because he does the 8160 which is the all local show every Mm -hmm. Tuesday night at 6 but I went in and listened to a lot of those songs that were just kind of sitting in that category and kind of determined like okay we can play this Mm -hmm. Um, and then we already had a bunch of local stuff or yeah again Kansas City based stuff in our library Um, and I do want to talk about that local designation for a second too because I was talking to Sarah about that when when the bridge moved here from Warrensburg to Kansas City in 2014. They had recorded a video that I found very recently on our YouTube page just talking about like what local means. Because when you ascribe the word local to like food or a local restaurant or a local some kind of business, it's always a good thing. But then when you ascribe it to local to music, it becomes like, oh, you know. And I get it too because I'm a musician and, and when people call me a local artist, I guess I might feel like, well, I'm, I don't want to just be, you know, I'm a professional, so I want people to look upon me as something better than whatever that connotation means to them. But, yeah, so, so I guess that's part of our rationale for still calling it local music. You're so right, though. It's locally grown, locally mm-hmm. produced, support local businesses. Yeah. So why would it so why become is local a dirty music word, a bad word, like jazz, mm-hmm. um, when applied semantics. to musicians? Right. Like as suggesting you didn't make it to mm-hmm. a national level. Yeah, yeah. Huh. But, yeah, I mean, it's up for argument. <laughs> Got you. back to Center Cuts. We're here today with Michelle Bacon. This is our second segment and I've realized once again I've failed to introduce you to me. I'm Patrick Spray, the host of this program. We are very graciously being hosted by Chris Mowry, our producer in his home. Hello. 
and we've had some great conversations today. We always want to talk about the schedule, even during virus, corona time. We had a conversation about Michelle's life, just childhood. Tell me about your childhood. We talked a little bit about her. We didn't really talk about your influences in music, but I know the mm-hmm. answers to those things. Mm-hmm. So I'll try to weave them here into the second half. <laughs> we talked a little bit about her career, uh, writing adventures related to music. And then we talked a little bit just about what she's currently doing in her position at the bridge. Mm-hmm. Welcome back, Michelle. Thanks for having me. I hope I haven't worn you out. No, no, this is fun. <laughs> okay. I haven't had a lot of social interaction over these past few months, so this is nice. And I should say, we're all masked. I'm sure we sound mm-hmm. a little funny. Yep. Uh, again, thanks for everyone being safe. So we're going to move on to the second two things we always try to talk about in our podcast, which are, what are some good things happening in Kansas City? They don't necessarily have to be music-related, by the way. Okay. I do know that you're involved in a lot of different causes isn't the right word but a lot of different ways to help the community outside of music and that would include things like the band that fell to earth shows i believe you've Mm. always donated Mm -hmm. a certain percentage yes um so let's talk about that and then when it gets right down to it one of the main things main goals of the program is to talk about what's something kansas needs to improve and i would say that's probably you know music related so Mm -hmm. any thoughts just on the kansas city the local community here or I mean, yeah, I mean, it is kind of related to music because I do really love the communal feel of Kansas City. It is a growing city, Mm -hmm. um, and for at least the past five, maybe ten years, people have started calling it, like, this little secret because it's it's a great place to live. It's very Mm -hmm. affordable. We do have some great arts and culture here. Um, So it's a real city, but also sometimes feels like a small town, which can be good and bad. Right. But, you know, it's just that whole communal vibe. And I I say it a lot with the independent music scene here, at least parts of it, you know, we we do try to support each other. Um, It's it's a lot about, at least to me um, and a lot of musicians I know, it's a lot about just supporting each other and not competing against each other, you know. Yeah. Lifting each other up. We talked about that on last week's, or our first podcast, which, you know, it's, can we joke about it big it's big city living you have right. access to things but it's small town but feeling it's still small town feel and i do wonder if part of the reason why the community so specifically the music community is so supportive mm-hmm. is not just that we're from the midwest but that it is so tight that it's in your best interest yeah to make good relationships i'm not saying be that, fake that's and true i'm too. sure politics happen but mm-hmm. you know you you never know who, especially as far as like musicians collaborating Right. You know, if you're, you're in a country group, your next outfit might be a reggae group. Or, I mean, seriously, yeah. you know yeah, I'm not you joking, never, either you one of you. Yeah. You don't know. You've seen it. Yeah, so. in this town. Um, as something that you just, I just thought of when you said that. So I did this interview with Abigail Henderson oh. in, in 20, oh gosh, I, I don't know anymore, actually. But it was before um, Apocalypse Meow, which was the, it, it's the benefit show for Midwest Music Foundation, which is what, Abby had co-founded mm-hmm. and she passed away from uh, breast cancer in 2013 so this was maybe before the 2012 show because Meow yeah, is always in November anyway I had interviewed her about that and just talking about like how she started the organization why she started the organization and she was talking about how artists from the Midwest we we have to be louder because we need to be heard you know it's like it's it's much easier I think to get your music out there on the coast because there's industry you know mm-hmm. there's lots of industry or if you're in nashville or a music town but here we don't have that um we don't have big labels or big pr firms or right. you know or talent scouts coming out to shows right um, necessarily so so we do have maybe this ethos this midwestern ethos of like we're going to just scream to be heard and right. we're going to support each other and lift each other up so we can all be heard, you know. That's interesting, though, too, because I I also feel that, you know, you can be heard here. It, there's there's so much here, absolutely, competition yes. in some mm-hmm. of the bigger yeah. markets. Or I wouldn't even say competition, just saturation. Mm-hmm. That to be able to stand out, you know, you almost have to have some sort of shtick or have some sort yep. of, you know, connection. Mm-hmm. I saw her maybe twice. God, one night at Davies was just, I, I just remember dripping with sweat and, and mainly just from her energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the album I picked up maybe two years ago, uh, it's not American Catastrophe. Was it Atlantic Fade Out? 
Atlantic fade out. Abby's, yes, yeah. Atlantic fade out. Mm-hmm. With um, Chris. Is Chris on that? Yeah, Chris is on that. I know Amy's on Amy that. Amy Farron, Dutch. That, yeah, that's a great. That freaking great record, album. I cannot stop playing it, mm-hmm. and it just breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about not exactly regret, but maybe not getting out to see yeah. more shows. Mm-hmm. I before starting you know the label three years ago I mean I was a school teacher I, I mm-hmm. worked probably 60 70 hours a week I thought I worked a lot then grading papers though you know and it just it wasn't going to work for me to get on a Saturday night when I had a stack full of journals to grade and I'm just thinking right. oh man yeah and you know sometimes we say maybe it would have been good to start the business you know 10 years ago but I don't think you can look at life like that you yeah absolutely you made your choices and mm-hmm. everything's for a reason one thing or what are some things that you feel like Kansas City needs or maybe some areas of improvement and we always do want to try to say what are some potential solutions to those Mm -hmm. to those areas well I think you kind of hit it on the head with what you were just saying as far as like there needs to be more exposure to arts Mm -hmm. um, and especially starting at a young age and Mm -hmm. I and Harmony Project and Artist Mentorship those were two examples I was going to provide but you already Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but they're they're really great and like Bass Academy of Music. There's there's oh, a lot. Great example. Yeah, and and it's like for me, I went to a very small Catholic school, um, so we didn't have any art programs. Like in grade school, we mm-hmm. we had like one music class and we had like some drumsticks we could hit together and like a wood block. You know, we didn't learn any real tenets of music. Um, our art classes, you know, there just wasn't right. funding for it. Right. So. I, I know that I feel like I would have probably gotten into music earlier yeah um, had it not been for that and so I think it's so important for kids to just be challenged um, in a creative way so right. they can just so their brains can start working that way you know right. I think kids are so used to like okay we have to learn algebra we have to you know and those are really important things too mm-hmm. of course but there's so much opportunity for their creativity to come out and, mm-hmm. and they don't often get to explore it so yeah. one of my first jobs out of the Peace Corps was teaching at a uh, arts integrated middle school in North Carolina in Raleigh mm. and basically what that was was you know for a certain portion of your lesson or for a certain time during the week you needed to have some sort of aspect whether it was visual arts mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a horrible artist myself but I would have kids you know like draw uh, they they make like a magazine cover. We read um, the Joy Luck Club, oh, yeah. and so May May, the main character, I did this at Academy Lafayette too. She's a prodigy chess player, and so mm-hmm. she's featured in Time Magazine. So I mm-hmm. asked the kids, I want you to draw a cover of Time, and I'm going to give you a rubric. I'm going to give you some things that you have to include in there. Like you got to put a price on there. You got to put an issue number. Mm-hmm. You got to you know have a, a headline that does have May May's name in it, and you can have two silly stories or whatever. And I'm telling you, Michelle, some of these kids. You know, it could not write a complete sentence. I mean, yeah. it broke my freaking heart in mm-hmm. sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade. It, Kansas mm-hmm. City kids at a good school, even mm-hmm. they couldn't they couldn't spell a name right. Some of these kids, yeah. but when it came to a project like that, to see the attention and detail some of them would put into this, and that triggered it. They mm-hmm. wanted to read that book because they got mm-hmm. into it or whatever. Right. Yeah. Same thing with doing plays and doing drama with my mm-hmm. kids. But as a teacher, I just could see time and time again, and this went across gender, race, socioeconomic classes, mm-hmm. single parent. No, 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 no. Some kids cannot just 
sit and read. Some yeah, kids absolutely. cannot just, and as much as I want them to be literate, and they will be yeah. by the time I'm done with them, I got to find another way to hit them. And right. for me, it was usually through music. Yeah. And when I see what's happening in the country, and this has been a long, gradual process, mm -hmm. they just keep getting whittled and whittled out. So I would yeah. ask, so how do we do that? How do we bring these kind of programs, how do we find creative ways to expose children to it? And we've mentioned, mm -hmm. and I'm so glad you brought up Base Academy. Quinn's yes. doing phenomenal work. Yeah. I just heard Nick Douglas on um, KKFI today with uh, mm -hmm. Maria Vasquez Boyd talking about some mm -hmm. of his work there. Yeah, and there's a couple of schools around. I'm actually on the board of directors at Kansas City Academy in oh, Waldo. Great. And they are, yeah, another arts-based school where the kids are just immersed in different facets of arts. That's um, There's also the Plaza Academy. I know there's a few others as well. That school, again, I full disclosure, I have a very good friend, Betty Bremser, who works there, but they've always had mm. a strong musical aspect mm -hmm. i mean i know brandon draper was doing some oh, work yeah. there miles yep. bonnie was doing some work there they mm -hmm. redid that mm -hmm. theater actually that's where we were going to shoot fritz's video oh cool for fortunate flaws and then the night yeah. before the shoot the theater anyway it got canceled because they were being safe i get it yeah Gosh. but you know to be fair those are private schools yep. they cost money right they and do cost money and and so i you know i, I think a lot of it is we need to be more involved with what's happening in the city too and talking to whether it's the mayor yes. or city council yes. or you know yes. and and there are there are programs that will do that on our behalf there's arts kc has been really great um as far as just like trying to create some sort of dialogue i know uh chris dahlquist she's mm -hmm. a great artist she also mm -hmm. uh, does a lot of facilitation with artists inc which is another great program that i can't recommend highly to anybody who wants to be a serious artist mm -hmm. um, but she you know she does a lot of work with the city I, there are a lot of different artists in different disciplines who are talking directly to these people right um, and just saying like hey artists deserve artists deserve money um, the people doing the production that you know it's like this is all a lot of work and and I think especially right now that we're in the middle of this pandemic and we're not able to fully enjoy the things we want to enjoy it's like you do realize how important entertainment is you know exactly and, and it's more than just like you know I, I don't know like i'm gonna go out and have get drunk and have a good time but it's like no it, this is very essential stuff you know like our social well-being i think we're all realizing especially right now that it's so important and things like Simple, simple things like going to the movies or going to a concert or mm -hmm. anything that's arts related it's so important to just keeping people nourished and balanced and and so there needs to be value assigned to that and I think that's one thing that we're kind of missing here and not just here that's a nationwide thing like the arts programs are the first things to get cut in schools yeah. so you, you are so right I just again my neighbor Ryan Davis, Kadesh Flow played in someone's front yard last night. It was very mm -hmm. safe, very spaced out. And I could yeah. just see I could just see the calm, the joy. Yeah. And it, you know, it wasn't necessarily calm music, but it brings that inner sense. Mm -hmm. So I wish you had been on our first podcast and or I wish Jim had come today, because we're talking <laughs> about some very similar things. Mm -hmm. I think that's what has to happen is the city has to get involved, to be honest. Yeah. And my personal frustration is I feel like the artists have brought a critical mass to downtown. They yes. want to move down there. They're trying to get some schools going on down there. Mm -hmm. And now that that's happening, artists are getting priced out. Yep. Well, again, again, we're not talking about just musicians either. They're getting pushed no. aside. Then I read about, and I'll just say it, one light, two light, whatever light, mm -hmm. getting all sorts of tax increments. Yep. I read about huge law firms getting tens, millions of dollars. It's crazy right. money. And then I'll read the, you know, the city's budget, latest budget. This was four months ago. And Cut we can't out. even get a $100,000 bone yep. thrown our way on that end. And so... My point would be to our local Kansas City administration is you've got to support these things. Get yes, every absolutely. company to partner with a school mm -hmm. to offer an in-school program or mm -hmm. after-school program to support institutions like the Jazz Museum. Yes. Um, because, again, Artist Inc. is great. Mm -hmm. That's for adults. Right. You, you've yeah, got to get them when they're younger. Yep. And it, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a long-term investment that's going to retain your best talent. Because mm -hmm. I think that coupled with that and the the public schools, to be honest, mm -hmm. we're just going to continue to bleed resources, right. including human beings, mm -hmm. as long as those services aren't offered here. Yep. They're, they're going to totally move agree. somewhere else where they can find those things. 
Yeah, and and you know, it's not even it's not even necessarily about creating a bunch of artists. It's really like again, exercising those creative muscles and teaching them these kinds of foundations are really important for any other job they might choose to go any other career path they might choose mm-hmm. to go into you know there's a lot of problem solving and and things that come up that you're not necessarily going to get in in a technical field and again th- those are both really important things but there sure. needs to be a better balance sure you're creating good human beings Absolutely. which would then hopefully create good citizens right and i think that you know you walk into a place like record bar for example and you just i i don't see barriers Mm-hmm. I, I just see all different types of people who are there for one thing. It's right. music. Yep. You can see the same thing in a theater. You can see the same thing at the Nelson. Mm-hmm. It brings people together. doesn't matter who you are because you appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's interesting during this time period. In some ways, we need it more than ever. And for a lot of people, not just you know, professional artists, that part of their life has right. really been missing. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good way to end our program, actually. Um, we've had yeah. a lovely conversation today. Really appreciate you taking the time to come, Michelle. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I I think we're ready to go another hour. Um, (laughs) Hope everybody out there has enjoyed the program. We really appreciate being here with Chris Mowry, our producer. I'm sure we're going to have some continued speed bumps slash learning curve slash Chris now has a lot of edits to do today. We will be back. Our plan is to do this about every couple of weeks. So in the meantime, Kansas City, stay safe, stay strong. Peace out.